One, two, one, two, one, two. Good morning, everybody. One, two. Can you hear me, Sam? Okay. Might want to raise it up so they can. Good morning, family. Yeah, you guys listen to me just like my kids do at home. I can see. Yeah, thank you very much, Randy. I'm glad somebody's acknowledging. Good morning. There we go. Yeah, I feel like I'm at home with my children. They ignore me too. Anyways, I'm so glad to be here with you all. Um, some of you may remember the last time I was up here teaching with you like this was July 8th last year. And there's a reason that I remember that date so well. I had a machine attached to me, remember? And it was vacuuming out a hole in me that was about this big. And it was about that deep. I could show you pictures if you want to see them. You know, nobody ever wants to see the pictures. Except my nursing friends are all like, cool, you know. So, um, and on that day, right back there in the corner, the pastor asked you all to pray for me. That was July 8th. Now, what you need to understand is that from March to July, um, after the surgery, that hole would not close. It stayed the same for almost four months. The doctors kept wondering what was going on, why it wasn't changing. They tried a myriad of different things, everything, and it was so pleasant to go through. And then we prayed. You prayed for me. The very next day, I went back to seeing the doctor. Now, that was on Sunday, July 8th. On Friday, July 6th, I had seen the doctor, and he said, Yeah, Bill, I'm sorry. We're going to turn up the vacuum a little bit and kick it up, which is always a pleasant experience. If you've never felt a hoover from the inside out, you don't want to. And on July 9th, he opened up the bandage and he looked there and he goes, okay, wait, what happened? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I need, wait, something's different. And he said, are you sure this measurement's correct? So he went and he measured. And he said, something definitely has changed. This thing has changed almost 25% in two days. I said, well, actually, if you want to know, it was really overnight, but that's just me. What happened? And I said, my church got around me and asked God to intervene, and he did. See, when you ask God to do that with an earnest heart, and all of a sudden it happens, sometimes we all go, whoa, God did it. When in the scripture it says, you do not have, because you do not ask. So I wanted to appear to say thank you for me and my families, because then... A week later, they took the vacuum off because the hole had gotten so small so fast. He called me an anomaly. Yeah, and it's a different term than most of you use when you call me that. <laughs> but the, the, the biggest deal was the way that none of us, no man on this earth, could take credit for it. And you see, the reason I bring that up today as well as to say thank you because it's, it's fun to be up here without that thing hanging on me and making all the noise is that, see, dads sometimes need that kind of prayer. Dads have to understand that there's more than just them worrying about the bills and stuff. So today, we're going to address some things about Father's Day that I'm not sure that that everybody understands. And you may not know the history of Father's Day, but this is a fun fact, because I didn't know this until I looked it up. 
But the first Father Day was actually celebrated on July 5th in, in 1908. There was a coal mine accident in West Virginia. And one of the women's, because of all the dads that died in that coal mine accident, she asked for a special day around the churches in her town in West Virginia to say, honor the fathers. After that, it wasn't until 1910, two years later in Spokane, Washington, that a woman who was a children's director in a church, and she had lost her dad, so she had asked for a special day honoring fathers to remember those that had gone on before. Which was a fun thing because then, funny thing about that was President Calvin Coolidge then heard about it and then he started to urge other states to observe Father's Day. Now understand, it's 1924. I mean, it's Mother's Day has been celebrated for quite a while and, and, and Dad just started. But it was not until 1972 that then President Richard Nixon actually signed into a, a vert edict saying that it was a national holiday to celebrate fathers. I find that very interesting that I was actually alive when Father's Day started. I mean, John Began was 65 years old at that time, but that's okay. <laughs> I was just making sure that that was the way it was, you know. So, but we had to, to, to talk about that a little bit because one of the things we understand as dads is the great dads. Some of you may have had a dad who's a great example. Some of you may have had dads who got up and when you were young and, and played the ball and did the things with you, had the tea parties with daughters. Yes, I have three daughters, and yes, I had tea parties with them all. You know, and not, unlike Dave Blitz, I did not wear the little dresses with them, but that's okay. So then we, we had to stand around, and, and as we're celebrating all of these things, it starts to dawn on me that we have to look a little bit at the differences in earthly fathers. So today on your outline, if you want to pull that out, that's what we're going to talk about. A little bit of difference between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. So for the first time in probably 35, 40 years, I'm going to give a real quick short testimony of my own. Because I know that this will surprise you that I was a little weird growing up. Good thing I turned out as normal as I am now. Much too many people's dreams. But becoming a father can be planned or unplanned, right? I mean, there obviously there are surprises that come along. There are times when we plan them. There are times when, when we didn't plan. And yet the child is still there and they're a blessing. They are a blessing. And sometimes when they're between the ages of two and three, maybe the blessing gets questioned. And then dads, in case you don't have 11 to 18-year-olds yet, fun day's coming for you. You will lose all your brains, but don't worry, at 19 you will get them all back again. And we have to understand that that's part of life growing up, because everybody knows at 17 and 18 years old, you know everything. Then you have the unplanned dads who have the fear where they decide they're either going to fight to become a good dad or flee and have flight from being a dad. You also then have the dads who have pride. They're very proud to be fathers and they want to be the best that they can be. An amazing thing, and, and dads in the, in the audience will agree with me, is that we can do our very best. And how many of you, no matter how good you do, you still feel you don't measure up? Yeah. That happens a lot. 
When we get to that point that we don't measure up, I would like to ask the question, measure up to what? See, because it comes down to this. If we're going to feel like we don't measure up, that means we have to have something to measure up to. And in that measuring up to, are we trying to measure up to something on this earth? We're trying to measure up to our Heavenly Father who's probably loves us more than anybody else ever has. So as we look at that, we have to understand, are we using the examples that we see around us to measure up to? Are we looking at movies? See, when I was young, um, I grew up in a very abusive home. And every once in a while, we would get to go to the movies. We lived on a, in an air base in Hawaii called Barber's Point, And it would cost 25 cents to go to the movies. And if I had an extra dime, I got my nickel popcorn and my nickel soda. So for 35 cents, I could go watch all the Elvis movies I wanted to. Because back in the 60s, that's when this was. Yes, I know how many of you weren't born yet. Thank you for sharing. We, we know that he always ended up as the hero of it. Sometimes he got dismayed and everything. The plot was always the same in every single one. But he, he was the hero in it because he was kind and generous and thoughtful. Not because he could sing great or anything else and play the guitar and do all those things he did, but because of who the, that he was. Not a great example of a father. That's not my point. My point just is that those are the kinds of things that we try to measure up to. My story started in 1956. Um, I was born in Seattle, Washington, uh, when, in an age when abandonment to an orphanage or abortion was an option, but my mother decided to keep me. And she would tell me this, and then later on I didn't understand why until I put some dates together. My biological father and my mother got married on August 25th, 1956. I was born in December 1956. Took me a while to figure out the math didn't work, according to what all the medical people tell me. And so I learned at about um, almost 20 years old that I was uh, conceived out of wedlock. Kicked that off, I was also born blind. Um, had many operations, finally got my eyesight in 1966. But then after having my first operation in 1958, my sister came along, and she was born in 19, March of 1959, and our biological father left us shortly thereafter. Then my mom married Richard Nelson, who I am, I hold his last name, in 1960. And there's a reason that I bring all of this up, is that then he's the one that, that basically took care of us. We thought we were adopted and I learned at 35 years old that I was never adopted or cared for. And at that point in time, we realized why we grew up in such an abusive and alcoholic home. I mean, there were days when I would hide, cover my sister in the closet while I was being beat on the back with an iron hanger. So, you see, I had not the greatest examples of who a dad is. My sister and I then, as we were growing up, my mom passed away in 2008. Richard and my mother were married two or three different times and divorced a couple different times, but they kept getting back together. And then, after that point, what happened was he decided that 
that he wasn't sure that he wanted to stay with us either. By now I'm, I'm a little bit older, <laughs> several years older. And in 2008, my mom dies. So my sister and I still decide that we're going to take care of Richard, um, in San Clemente, California. And then in 2015, he starts to get really ill because he was a World War II vet, a Korean War vet, and three tours of Vietnam. He had two Purple Hearts. He had scars being blown up and shot many, many times. When he came back from Vietnam, he was a different person. So now in 2015 comes along, and we're with him, and he tells the hospital where he's staying that I was never really his son, and that they were not allowed to give any information on his life or concerning him to me. I went to his room to ask why, and he looked at me and he said, you understand, you were never my son. You have no right to make any decisions concerning me. You can leave now. I don't want to see you again. Now, this is the man that I was with from the age of four years old on. But now he was letting me know that I was no longer wanted. So at this point... I'm not feeling real happy in 2015. God is still using me to minister to people in different ways. We had started a little nonprofit called Fresh Beginnings Ministries, and it wasn't until he passed away on April 25th, 2016. But because he had removed all the references to my sister and I from his house, they couldn't find me until May 10th, 2016. Didn't even know he had passed away. I got a, a call from the county that said, hey, is this Bill Nelson? Yeah, do you know Richard Nelson? I said, well, yeah. Well, we need to tell you that he has passed away. Mr. Nelson has passed away, and he's in a morgue down in South San Diego County. It was an interesting night because that night I launched a program called Fresh um, Life Support Mentor Training and, and had invited a whole lot of mentors that I was getting ready to train to go work with the homeless, and I was trying to inspire and encourage them that today was the day that they were going to go out and work with these people and help them. And they had been trained and they were ready to go. And I had different assignments for them to go out on the streets. And I needed to be positive and let them know that they were going out in Jesus' name to help people find out who they were before they became who they are. And now I was wanting to say I would love to find out who I am and know what I am going to become. Very enlightening messages. Isn't this fun? <laughs> but here's the good part that I want to get to. Because you see, at 13, I smoked my first joint. Okay, By 15 years old, I was on heroin and speed. And at 15 years old, I took a speedball that almost killed me. I got in a fight right afterwards, got shot in the leg... And decided that maybe I was not as invincible as I believed I was. Because from that point, I was invited to be in a rock and roll band to go down to a church, play bass in this rock and roll band and stuff. We were on the church stage and I was playing a Led Zeppelin song called Black Dog. It was really cool. I was having a good time doing it. And the pastor walked in and looked at us and said, um, who invited you boys here? And I just knew the youth minister. You can blame everything on the youth minister. You know that? And that called, sorry, Jim, that's just how it is, dude. It can be. But you can, you can say, I said, oh, Terry invited us. That's all I knew. His name was never met him or anything. So I told him, I said, dude, that's it. And they, he just looks at me and says, okay, great. 
So I'm up on the stage playing, and just to mention real quick, over on the left side of the stage was the cutest piano player I've ever seen in my life, and I just knew that whatever she was going to be, I was going to be with her. We've been together 38 years now, by the way, so that just wanted you to say, yes, it was her. And here's the greatest part of this story. I said, I want you to know that when Jesus steps into one of those kind of lives, you may be here today and you've had that kind of life. It hasn't been all roses and peaches. And we love to come to church and act like everything's good, don't we? We want to come to church and act like, you know what? God is fully in control and I trust in him and I'm following him. I'm walking with him. And we sound wonderful when we're in this place on this day of the week. How many of you wake up tomorrow and go, God, where are you? How many of us think, Lord, what? (laughs) how is that bill going to get paid? See, part of being the dads and the fathers is that there are times when we put bricks on our back that God never intended us to have. Dads sometimes wind up taking on more responsibility than is really there only because it's the pressure they put on themselves. So you see, whether you're here as a wife, a daughter, a sister, a a mom, a niece, a nephew, a son, please know that dads can be known to be not perfect. Once you realize that, once you think about your dad, once you come to the grips that maybe dad's struggling a little bit because right now he needs God to walk beside him, that's where I want to get to with this message. Because as dark and lonely and ugly that that life was that was growing up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, Jesus stepped in. And when he did, all kinds of things happened. My wife today, Kathy, of 38 years. I have three daughters, Sherry, Julie, and Kaylee. I have a son-in-law, Ben, who is one of the greatest dads ever. I'm very proud of him, the way that he works with his kids. And I have three grandchildren, Dylan, Sophia, and Cody. And because I have the microphone, I can stand up here and say they love me the most. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one later. Anyway, so I just wanted you to know that's, that's my story. Now, my children also, I want you to know my kids growing up didn't know about my past until I think the oldest one was like 18 or 19 years old before she found out how I grew up. Because I felt like my job was that they don't need to know any of that. And so, yeah, I know I was the kicker and I broke up where I said, hey, I'm not going to be the dad that follows in the line that I came from. And so, again, I'm being a little weird. I know that shocks you all because I don't understand why you would inflict that on your children at this point. I knew I didn't want to be who the person was, what happened to me. So as we as we talk about now our God, our father. Let's talk a little about who he is. In, in your outline, you see our core beliefs and the core beliefs that comes up. Here's, here's the good part about our core beliefs. I love to read this. Uh, do I have the slide? There they are. There is one God, though he has eternally existed in three distinct co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He spoke the universe into existence and holds it together through his will. Though God transcends time and space, my favorite part, he has chosen to stay intimately involved with his creation. The key word in all of that, if you're going to circle anything on here, chosen. 
See, every one of you sitting in this place has been chosen. We're all different. Look at all the people around you. They're not the same as you. And you're saying, thank God. (laughs) Well, especially if you're sitting next to Dave or John, I get it. But my point is, when we stand before him, he sees us how he purposefully created us. We, he has chosen to stay in. That means no matter what Bill did in those crazy three years from 13 or 12 and 11, okay, 11 to 15, no matter what craziness Bill did in those years, at 15 in that little church in Long Beach, God decided to step in and say, guess what? You're not going to do that anymore. You can throw that big bag of drugs that's in your pocket away because you're not going to need them. Because now you've got a new mission. I want you to let people know that no matter how ugly a life looks like from the inside out, I look at it through the eyes of Jesus from the outside in. And I'm going to help you clean it. I didn't have to get cleaned up. I didn't have to change my ways. I didn't have to get to the point of becoming clean and being perfect in the church. And I didn't have to get to the point of of saying, oh, guess what? Life is so good. God is so good and everything else. Because he has chosen to stay intimately involved with Bill. So if you want to, you take that bottom uh, sentence in that statement, take off his cre- his creation and put your name there. He has chosen to be stay intimately involved with Randy, with Diane, you know, Rita, with Eric, with with Mikey. God has chosen to stay intimately involved. My question here is, do we choose? To stay involved with him. Because that's your decision. He loves you so much. He gives you free will. He gives you the chance to make that decision. Of whether or not to return. That chosenness. Well I just made up a good word. So. Or choosingness I guess. However you want to say it. My redneck relatives just came in. Sorry. So you, you, you want to know if you're chosen to stay with him. You get to choose whether or not. You're going to choose to stay intimately involved with him. And sometimes we say, I can't look six months ahead. I can't look a year ahead. Guess what? If I look right now at Bill, because I would have been here up here a lot sooner, but you know, the pastor. So um, <laughs> we, if you look at 1105 right now and you say, okay, guess what? At 1115, I'm going to stay chosen to be intimately involved with my creator. We want to keep that. We want to stay there. We want to keep that choosing. Can you rest in that thought that the most powerful being in the universe has chosen? He wants to know you. His desire is to be with you. His desire is to understand that he under, for you to understand that he understands you. And now he wants you to understand him. How do we do that? By staying in that book. They come in all shapes and sizes. They're right there in front of you in in the seats. If you don't have a Bible, those ones that are in front of you in the seats, please take them home. Mark them up. Circle them. Highlight them. Find the things. You want to know where to start? I can tell you where to start real quick. Start in Psalm 27. You'll find it. Look it up in the index. Then go to the third chapter of a gospel book named John. 
and read that one. You want to understand who he is and who he wants, how much he wants to be with you, you're going to understand there's something in the book of Romans in the 8th verse. I mean, the 8th chapter in the 38th and 39th verse. It says this, and I don't have a slide up there for it, but I can tell you this. It says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God. And the only thing that's different in there, there is one thing that can separate you from the love of God. Because if you notice, all of those things revolve everything outside. Nothing outside can separate you from the love of God. But here's what Paul was trying to tell the Roman church that he had never been to, by the way. But he was trying to encourage them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends by telling them nothing can separate them from the love of God. Except that what's not in the list is you. So you can look through that great list and see all the things that nothing can separate us, but you're not in there. Myself is not in there. Yourself is not in there. Because what can separate you from the love of God is your decision to be so. If we're going to be separated from the love of God, then we're telling our Father that we want nothing to do with Him. When all the while He chooses to stay intimately involved with you. So let's look as God's children. As God's children, we have a lot, a ton of privileges, most of which we very rarely take advantage of, by the way, because one of those things that's not supposed to be for us to carry as God's children is a thing called worry. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. So we get to make a point of saying, okay, so God, if, if these bills are going to get paid, then I have to understand and know you're going to get them paid. If my child that has disappeared as a father and I'm worried about my children, I have to trust God that you're going to keep her safe. And I say that because we had one that disappeared for a while. She's back now and doing very well. If we choose to take on worry, if we choose to take on guilt, if we choose to allow the world to separate us from the love of God, then we look at the one who has chosen us and we say, no thanks. Or we embrace that. As in 1 John, the third chapter, the first verse. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It doesn't say that you have to earn it. I can't pay for it. I can't buy it. I can't work for it. There's nothing I have to do to get it other than to say, yes. I want to be intimately involved with my Creator. My Father in heaven. If you are wondering what it means to have a sacrificial love, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for one purpose, 
that no man should perish but have everlasting life. That means Jesus came for one reason and one reason only. No matter how much that, that Charlie tries, if Charlie was the only man on this earth, Jesus still would have gone to that cross to make sure that he could spend eternity with his heavenly father. You see, you want to talk about a father's love that's more amazing than anything? It's our heavenly father. Earthly fathers will fail. We'll, we'll mess up. We do. I, I wish I could tell you if my children thought I was perfect. Yeah, sure they do. Okay, that's not even worth dreaming about. But anyways, my children know me. You know, Eric's kids, his boys know him. They know dad's not perfect. Kathy really knows that Eric's not perfect. But the point simply is that as humans, we don't have to be. Because we were so, so ingratiated by saying that you'll be called children of God that when he sit, makes that statement, when John tells us from the island of Patmos and he's writing these letters and he's telling people, understand how important this is. The people are scattered. The, things are happening all around them. People, Nero is killing Christians like crazy and things are going on. The proconsul's trying to make sure that there's a way to keep John not dead because they tried to boil him in oil once and it didn't work. He didn't die because his heavenly father plucked him out of there to say, hey guys, guess what? You tried to kill me, but God's love is stronger than anything you have. That's the point. Even when Bill was making all those mistakes and that life was ugly and dark and nasty looking, Jesus stepped in. So I'm going to tell you here today. I don't know inside of all of your minds, but he does. I don't know that I could even accept all the stuff that's going on with you because I'm, as we say, human as well. But he does. See, you may be ashamed of all the stuff that's inside of you, what you're thinking. Lord, how can you accept me when you know my heart? When we look in the mirror at the person in the mirror, we see somebody totally different than we show on a Sunday, a Monday, or whenever we're at Bible studies, when we're out fellowshipping with our friends or we're having a good time. We look like a really cool person. But then at night, when all the lights are off and everybody else is gone, you go in to brush your teeth, and the first thing you have to do when you brush teeth is what? Look in the mirror. Sometimes the mirror, person in the mirror scares me. Because I know that person well enough to know he does not deserve what God has given him. He does not deserve his, what his heavenly father has bestowed upon him. Yes, I have many scars. I've had 19 operations, the whole blind thing. There's lots of stories there for which we don't have time. But I can tell you this. None of that is as good as the day that Jesus came in and said, Bill, you got stuff to do, man. Let's go. Yeah, I still had to go through rehab to get off the drugs. I still had to try to get clean. I had to, I was the only one in my family that was getting saved and, and that was a whole different ball game. But Jesus stepped in anyways. Not because I worked to get better. I didn't order it or anything else. See, here's my point today. And I know we're celebrating dads. But I'm celebrating in a way to tell you that if you had a great dad, that's wonderful and you were blessed. I'm telling you that if you are a great dad, and, and let's talk about the dads who also 
were not the biological fathers of the children that they're being they're caring for now. Some of them are heroes. What about the grandfathers who thought that their days of being a father were over and now they've got an eight-year-old that they're responsible for? You see, what about the uncles who have to be dads because his brother was killed in a foreign land defending our country? You see, when you look at all of those variables, (laughs) humanly speaking, guys, it's not possible for us to measure up to all of the things that we think we should be or do. We can't. It's not humanly possible. So in that impossible setting, there's only one answer. Let God do it. Dads, I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you say yes to God before you know the question? Because if we can, then that gets us closer to having that intimate relationship with the one who created us. If we're having a hard time with it, it's because we're holding back things that we don't want him to know. Guys, I hate to break it to you. He knows. (laughs) You're not going to do something and he's going to go, oh man, look what Eric did. I didn't see that coming. He's going to know. And guess what? He still would have sent his son to that cross. He still loves you more than you can even count on. Everybody here is either a son or a daughter, obviously. So as you look at all of your parents, as you look to be parents, as you look to be grandparents, aunts, uncles, if you're single and you don't have kids yet, You're still part of a greater family than you could ever imagine. And they're all in this room. Here's the cool part about this. As weird as those people look around you, you all get to go to heaven together. (laughs) Why are some of you laughing? (laughs) That's a good question. If I had somebody laughing next to me, I'm going, why are you laughing? What's that about? Because there's no way that we can understand or know the ways of God. And he does. And so at that point, it becomes a matter of faith. So this morning, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Do you have the faith to say yes to God before you know the question? My sister always said, I'm not going to ask God the question because he might send me to Egypt. I don't know why she picked Egypt. She just picked Egypt. But see, if God asks you to go someplace, do something or something, you know, if, you know, Greg Wagner wants me to go to Speedway all the time. I don't know that I want to get all muddy in the motorcycle races, but that's okay. Because I know this in all the stuff that I look at in the mirror. I have a heavenly father who will never look at me and say, you are not mine and you don't matter. He's the one that says to me, come on, I'm going to go with you. Let's go do what we got to do. And so now, for a long time, I'm not going to tell you I'm 62 years old. Never mind. That was, I want you to understand and know that he's not going to fail you when you call on him. 
when you feel like you're on your knees, when you feel like you're scraped up and stuff, and when you feel like you're going through trouble, family, please understand when you're going through trouble, especially spiritually, when we're going through trouble as a church, as a human being, as a family, it's not because we did something wrong. It's because an enemy knows you're trying to do something right and you made him angry. So please know that when troubles grow and they get bigger and stuff, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you did something right. And you did it for Jesus. And he doesn't like that. That's why they tremble at his name. So this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. And I was going to make it for dads, but I'll tell you what. If you're a child of God here today, And you know that you need to look at him and ask him that you or tell him that you choose to be intimately involved with him. I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to ask you to pray with me because I want to know who wants to tell God, God, I choose you. If you want to choose God, please stand with me because we're going to pray this morning that he understands in our hearts. That he is number one. If you don't know what this means this morning, anybody who doesn't understand this, please know that if we're going to have people up here, guys, who did you want to come on up? Come on up. And Byron, guys, do you want to come on up too? And then there's folks up here that will pray with you because I want to let you know. Praise team, come on up. And I want to let you know that here's the deal. That as we stand before God and we tell him that we choose him, We make him smile today. We are nothing but the worshipers in this room. God is our audience. We are very fortunate to have an amazing praise team. Our pastors are incredible. Here's the amazing part about this. All of us together, they may be the worship starters and you may be the worshipers, but God is our audience. And if we want to please and talk to anybody, he's the one we want to talk to. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. We are so eternally grateful. We are so in love with who you are. We do not understand, God, how you can take something as dirty and ugly as me and choose to want to be intimately involved in everything about my life. I don't understand, God, why you would ask me to be alongside you to let others know who you are. So as we all stand together and we proclaim this morning that Heavenly Father, we choose you. Please know that we are responding to you choosing us to save. We choose you, Father. We know that in, in, in our earthliness and in the humanness that we are, that we stand before you to say, God, we choose you. I don't know all of the needs in this room, and you do, Father. So please reach into those hearts that are hurting. Reach down to those people that are in those dark places right now, Father. Show your light of love. Wrap your arms around them that they would feel your peace and love. For those that have questions on decisions that they need to make this day, God, may your wisdom follow them and they they walk with you in all that they do. Guide and lead us, Father. 
And if there's anybody in this place today, Lord, that doesn't know who you are and know your son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Lord and Savior, may they not leave this building without finding him and knowing him and and believing and understanding who he is. Help us as a church to lead and guide those who are searching. Help us as a church to know those decisions that, that may surround a whole lot of different issues. But today, we come before you as a church of God to say, Father, we want to follow your leading. We want to follow your son. We want to follow your wisdom. Help us to know what it means to completely choose you and say yes before we even know the question. May your blessings fall upon everybody in this room, God. And we pray all of these things in the holy name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would like some prayer, want to talk, these folks are up here.